The Fourth Watch starts now. You're listening to Omega Frequency with BDK on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. family. How we doing this evening? BDK here. Of course you know it's BDK. And all these people right now are going to get furious because they're like, you're too slow on the introduction. We have ADD and we can't stand to sit through a minute of introductions. Get to the good stuff. Alright. I'm just joking. I'm just having some fun with my frequency family. That's all. Just having some fun. Um, this is another uncensored episode, so... Pardon me if the audio isn't up to the standards of all the other episodes. I'm just recording this on the Boss Jack, and there might be some latent noise in the background. Um, the important thing is I just have some things that I want to get off my chest I want to talk about. Um, it's Saturday right now, and when this airs, it will be Monday the 10th, I believe. And then Tuesday, which is September 11th, 9-11, not to be confused with the Twin Towers falling and all the 9-11 madness, although some people say that that fits into this somehow. We have another uh, annual, this point's becoming very annual, another annual round of predictions on the Rapture Roulette table, or as I like to call the Rapture Ruckus, always starts up in September. Um, we're definitely going to be raptured out again on a certain date, or there's the tribulations going to begin on a certain date, or all these crazy shenanigans are going to happen. Um, last year, it was the Revelation 12 sign. That went over like a dud. Uh, the year before that, it was all the blood moons and the Shemitahs, which never materialized. Um, it just keeps going and going. The early church was dealing with false rapture predictions. We're dealing with, um, um, it's a bunch of ruck, ruckus and a bunch of shenanigans. So, um, yeah, here's the thing. Let me just be real with the Frequency family for a moment. I often joke that we sometimes should get a Rapture Ruckus punch card um, so that every year that when the new Rapture scenario jumps off in September, we have another little punch to our card. Maybe the by the time the 11th comes or after the 10th one, maybe we'll actually get raptured out of here. I It never fails. I always hope that one year I don't have to do a show where I have to be like, hey guys, calm down, the Rapture's not going to happen. The blood moons aren't starting the tribulation. The Shemitah's not going to wipe out America. Um, that's not the Revelation 12 sign. Um, 
And this year it's, hey, it's Israel's 70th anniversary of them being in the land. Um, the 11th is the Feast of Trumpets. Therefore, that generation can't pass away till all things be fulfilled. And this is kind of the cutoff point. So now we know that Jesus has to come back and this whole thing about no man knows the day and the hour, that doesn't mean that the rapture can happen at any time. He's specifically referring to the Feast of Trumpets. I get that. I understand why some people interpret it that way. That's not the issue of this podcast. But it's like Jesus has to come back. And so, you know, people that listen to the frequency, you would think that they would know that I don't go in for any of these shenanigans that I'm the first to call shenanigans on all this riffraff and all this rapture ruckus. But it doesn't seem to matter because my emails and my messenger inbox get flooded with emails all around this time. And they're all like, hey, BDK, you're pretty level headed when it comes to all this rapture shenanigans. Um, could it possibly be that the rapture is going to happen on this Feast of Trumpets and all this stuff, and, you know, please let us know. We're kind of scared that maybe it'll happen, or maybe it won't happen, or what do you think about the people saying that it'll happen, and I'm just like, please stop. For the first time ever, I went on my Facebook page, and I just said, please stop. Please stop emailing me uh, and messaging me about the rapture on September 11, 2018, it's not going to happen. And um, all of a sudden, I thought maybe that would just calm things down. Maybe people would stop emailing me. Nope. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, that, that thread blew up and had like 89 comments on it. And in the course of that comments, everyone's fighting about the timing of the rapture and some were like, yeah, it's definitely going to happen. And some of them were like, the rapture is spiritual. And we'll talk about that later. Um, and some are saying, well, the rapture is pre-trib. And that blew up because people know that I'm post-trib pre-wrath. And a lot of people that follow me are post-trib pre-wrath. And um, so then that started a flame war. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, man, this is crazy. This is so crazy. And... <clears throat> Look, I get it. Here's the thing. Let me tell you what this episode's not going to be about. This episode's not going to be about the timing of the rapture. I've done episodes on that. You guys know where I land on that. And if you're new to the frequency and you're just like, well, where do you land on that, BDK? I just said it. I'm post-trib pre-wrath. I believe that the rapture happens simultaneously with the second return of Christ. And that happens when he comes back as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, end of the tribulation. Now, I have many brothers and sisters out there who are like, nope, it's pre-trib. And if you're anything but pre-trib, then we don't invite you to conferences. We don't invite you to speak. We don't let you have any airtime to do radio shows. They circle the wagon and they get all fenced about it. And the YouTube comments blow up, and they're like, this dude's stealing our blessed hope. He's a heretic. And I'm not, man. I don't break fellowship with people that uh, have a different viewpoint on the timing of the rapture. Like, I've had people on my show, the Omega Frequency, 
that have all different views on this, right? I've had people on the show that are post-trib, pre-rap. I've had people on the show who are definitely pre-trib. I've had people on the show that, like Brian Gadawa, who's, uh, you know, uh, what's it? He believes that most of the book of Revelation was fulfilled in 70 AD, so he's not a futurist at all. I've had people that, you know, have a wide variety of rapture opinions, and a lot of people who are like pan-trib, which is like, it all pan out in the end. And I'm, I'm okay with that, as long as you're out there sharing the gospel. And that's the important point. The important point for the church isn't so much, you know, let's nail down a date when Jesus will return. Let's predict a date when Jesus will return. When will Jesus return? How's your eschatology? Is it on point? Are you in the official righteous camp? Are you in the good camp or the bad camp when it comes to rapture timing and eschatology? Um, I think the real issue isn't so much when is Jesus coming back, it's he is coming back, and how many people have you warned about the soon return of Christ, and more importantly, how many souls have you won for the kingdom, so that when you go and meet Jesus, people can come with you. So it's not when am I going up in the rapture, it's how many people am I taking with me. And I think that's important. I think that's more important in this hour than anything else. So I'm not here today to talk about the rapture camp. So if you're coming on expecting me to defend a certain position or to debunk why uh, September 9th uh, or 9-11 this September Feast of Trumpets isn't the rapture, wrong show. I've already done shows like that explaining the position of where I think the rapture lands. I've already talked about the signs that must happen before the rapture happens. I've done shows on that. Um, you can go through our archives at OmegaFrequency.com, look those up, and you'll see those shows very simply. And there's no way that all those things that have to happen before Christ returns are going to happen by the time you're hearing this tomorrow. So I'm not trying to be a prophet, because that's what sometimes people get snarky with me, and they're like, well, how do you know that's not the Revelation 12 sign? Because when the Revelation 12 sign came out, I said, I predict 100% that Jesus isn't returning on September, on the, you know, the, the September 12 sign date. And people were like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm just saying that, like, there are certain things that have to happen biblically that just can't, you can't crush into a time frame that quickly. So, I want to talk about the heart of the matter. And this isn't a talk for a large group of people. Let's put it this way. I know that some people think that I, I get really, uh, I preach a very narrow message and that I overhype the danger that we're in in this time. And 
I don't feel like the remnant's doing enough for the body of Christ. And that's not not, not true. Um, the things I say in Omega Frequency have first an intended audience of me, as in, am I doing what I need to do to be a faithful witness for Christ? Am I preaching the gospel to as many people as I humanly can? Am I obeying Christ? Am I faithfully living for Him? After that, people that hear the show should understand that I'm asking you those same questions that I'm asking myself. The second intended audience of Omega Frequency still is an audience of one. It's not so much like if the American church in Christianity is doing the right thing or the wrong thing, it's what am I doing as a citizen of whatever country I'm in? Am I following Christ? Am I leading others to Christ? Am I a pilgrim? Am I trying to contend for the historic faith of the church that was delivered unto the church, that historic faith? Am I contending and fighting for that faith? Am I living for Christ? Am I doing everything I can do to not conform to this world, but be transformed by the power of Christ inside of me, by the renewing of my mind, by walking in the Spirit, by putting on the whole armor of God, by abiding in the vine, all of that stuff. Am I doing what I am called to do? And then Omega Frequency is next level of reach is to the remnant at large. Are we as the church, which is the body of Christ, doing what we need to do corporately to advance the Great Commission so that Jesus can return? Now, that's interesting because I'm talking about Jesus returning. And it may seem kind of odd that I'm taking this whole approach of, well, you know, I'm a prophecy-sounding podcast. Like, usually I get on the episode and I'm like, we're here to talk about the soon coming of Yeshua the Messiah as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This podcast started out with a very prophetic um Focus. It started off with, I would read three or four different news articles every week and say, this is how the signs are fulfilling Bible prophecy. And Bible prophecy was very centric in Omega Frequency. And over the course of these four years, that whole mission changed, kind of. It kind of went to be like, look, Jesus Christ is coming back. Whether you believe it's pre-trib, post-trib, uh, mid-trib, uh, pan-trib, however you believe it, it's going to shake out. He is going to return. My conversation isn't the specifics so much of that, although we get into that from time to time. My focus on Omega Frequency is what are we going to do about it? How are we going to live in the light of His soon coming? What's our mission about can I inspire those different target audiences, myself, you, the body of Christ, anyone who listens, to follow Christ? If you're not saved, to get saved. If you're not walking, sold out, radical kingdom life for Jesus, would you start doing it? 
Would you start committing to live for Him and be willing to die for Him? And would you help disciple others? Would you help train others? Would you use the gifts that you've been given to further the Great Commission? Would you do all of that? Because if He is coming back soon, then we're going to have to meet Him and give an account of our lives. And that's always been the mission of Omega Frequency. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Now, I'm just trying to figure out, like I said, this is live, it's unscripted, it's late night. I'm just kind of been praying and reading my Bible and just thinking about all of this rapture ruckus for the last few days. And I knew I was going to do the show entitled that. And I'm just like... How do I, you know, what should this show be about? I don't want it to, like I said, be about the timing. I don't want it to be about this eschological uh, brouhaha. What I really want to do is probably what most people are going to find the most boringest, right? Because that's sometimes another knock I get. It's like, we love it when you're getting all out there and making all these wild speculative uh, things and we love it when you're standing in on the rooftops and calling shenanigans but like there's some episodes where you're just quoting scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture and it's like well that's the most important thing I do man like nothing really that I say is gonna last or matter it's what Jesus said his words will never pass away even if heaven and earth pass away his words won't so I'm going to try to read some scriptures. I pulled some scriptures out. I put them up on a iPhone for me so I can read them. And I'm just going to go over them. And this podcast from this point out could be 10 minutes, could be an hour. I, Depending on what I feel as I'm reading some of this stuff and some of the commentary I want to give... Um, I don't know how long it's going to run, but I want to just kind of be a voice of reason in the midst of all of this. And I kind of want to try to put us back on mission on point as much as possible, because I do believe that we as the remnant have an amazing opportunity. And I talked about this last week. There's an amazing promise on the other side of that door, and that promise is the person of Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. Even He's near, even at the door. But he also promises us that if we seek him, if we pray to him, if we repent, if we get on point, if we're all about doing what he has commissioned us to do, he will confirm his word with signs, wonders, following. There can be pockets of revival that break out through America and around the world if these, if the remnant in those pockets of places forsake sin and do the things that God asks and requires of us to do. If we're really, really, really on point about sharing this gospel and about loving Christ with all of our hearts, our lives, and leaning not on our own understanding, but leaning on the understanding and the guidelines set forth in the Bible, that God can do amazing things with his remnant. And I do believe that God will do amazing things in this last hour. And I'm going to share a little bit of that in some of the scripture. 
So before I start reading the scripture, if I was going to make a statement of proof or a thesis statement, it would be this. The issue isn't about when he will return. The issue is, will we be found faithfully following him and doing the work which he commissioned us to do when he returns? And how many people do we want to take with us? That should be the mission of this church in the last days. If we truly, truly believe that Jesus could be coming back within our lifetimes, then we should pour out our lives in service of that mission. And to prove that, thesis statement true, I'm going to read a bunch of Bible passages. And I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself. And show everyone that this should be our focus, not when will he return. So, I'm going to start with Matthew 24, 45 through 51. We have that famous Matthew 24 um, Olivet Discourse. And a lot of people point to that as like Jesus' Sermon on the End Times. But what's so fascinating about it is then after Jesus gives the prophetic breakdown of what's going to happen and when he's going to return and all this other stuff, he starts talking right to the people in parables. He starts talking, and most of them are servant-related, like the master is doing something, the master is going to go away, and how are the servants going to respond? Are they going to bury their talents in the dirt? Are they going to be faithful servants? And he just goes through all this because he's like, okay, So you know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to return. What are you going to do with that information? Are you going to be faithful and serve me? And we're talking about the faithful servant in in this parable, starting at Matthew 24, 45. It says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. And this kind of is, in the next chapter, in Matthew 25, you're going to hear the Jesus putting it a different way, so to speak. He's going to be talking about the talents. He's giving the servants the talents and if they do good, then they they're become rulers over much. And so they were given little, and they were faithful with little. They were rewarded, and if they were given much, and they were faithful with much, they were rewarded much. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus asks a question. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? That's something that every one of us, me included, you included, the remnant body, That is something that we must put at the head of our mission list. If we were to make a mission list of what we should be striving for in the end times, the first thing that we should mark up there is we need to be servants who are faithful and wise. 
It said, Whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. A lot of people are like, well, we have to know when the rapture is going to happen. We have to know whether it's pre-trib, post-trib, so that we can plan. I get that. That's why I'm post-trib, pre-wrath. Because I believe that there are things that we need to plan for. It would be wiser to plan for the eventuality that we will be here during the tribulation than to think that we're getting out of jail free. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is like, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be wise. I want you to be doing the things that I've commissioned you to do as my servant. I've made you ruler over this household. Basically saying, I've made you a priest and a king. A royal priest and a king. Not just a normal priest, but a royal priest. A royal priesthood. A kingly priest. I am the ruler over my own household, in a sense, a very real sense. I'm the head of my house. My wife is under me. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I had kids, they'd be under my wife and me. But all of us are under the headship of Jesus. But in this commission, that we are to be faithful with what we have, that we are to be wise, that we are to be faithful The Lord says, I will give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. He didn't call for us to be doomsday preppers. He called for us to be faithful and wise. And then he promised that he would meet our needs in whatever season we found ourselves in. That we would be blessed As long as when the Lord cometh, he finds us doing what he has called us to do. Being faithful, being wise, putting our talents to the good use. So that's the picture of what the church should be doing. We shouldn't have to fear the future because in the end, Yeshua not only will win, but he knows how to take care of those whom he commissioned. But Jesus goes on and then talks about the unfaithful servant. He says, But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, then the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there is kind of a tension line in this. Because on one hand I say, well, you know, it's not so much a matter of when he will return. It's a matter of he will return. And what are we doing to be faithful and wise servants are we, to, are we going to be found working when he returns? I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever think about the return of Christ or preach Bible prophecy. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we need to do it responsibly. We can't go beyond the text and read our own dates and 
uh, personal conspiracy theories into it and then go out and proclaim that his gospel is Jesus is going to return and, and I know the date and everything like that. We don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's important to know that the Lord will return and to believe that and to warn of that return. But it's interesting because the Lord can delay his coming. And we'll talk about that in the next couple of uh, scriptures that I pull. Because I believe there is a reason why the Lord would want to delay his coming. And so to think that we can figure everything out and be like, I have the Jewish calendar and I know that this was a Shemitah year and this was a Jubilee year and this was a 70th anniversary year and dispensation says this and it was this dispensation and we do all this Holy Ghost math somewhere. It's, it's crazy. Because in reality, the Father's going to send Jesus when the Father wants to send Jesus. That, that's the truth of the matter. And the Lord can delay His coming because if we understand what's going to happen on that day, it's going to be a very traumatic event for humanity. And the very point of God sending His Son was that He loved the world and didn't want to see anyone perish. That He's long-suffering in His mercy and His goodness. And maybe the reason that it's taken Jesus so long to return is because He wants there to be people that are saved. And He doesn't want to have to do some of the things that He's going to do, that justice is going to demand Him to do. He wants... His kingdom to be stocked with people. So let's not let's not get into this whole thing where we're being unfaithful servants. Let's be faithful servants whom the Lord finds us doing good. Um, the other warning in this, and I'm not trying to read too much into the text, but it says that this servant, when he you know, is saying in his heart, the Lord delayeth my coming, he begins to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunk drunkards, and he's appointed a portion with the hypocrites. This isn't just talking about Christians, like smiting other Christians or going to war with other Christians, although there's some of that. This isn't talking about Christians boxing other Christians or slapping other Christians I mean, God knows there's enough of a civil war within Christianity the way it is. But some of this is just, you know, there's more than one way we assault each other. Let me put it this way. That we're, you know, we're doing the things that the unsaved would do. We, we actually get, you know, found out as hypocrites. We actually get appointed our portion with the scoffers because we... I want to be very careful how I say this. But if you're out there putting forth all of these conspiracy theories of when Jesus is coming back, and you're saying that the rapture is going to happen on this day or that day, you're, you're basically, when these prophecies don't come to pass, you are doing something so violently damaging 
to our cause and our credibility. Because the unsaved, they're going to look at Christianity like, what a bunch of crazy hypocrites. They always think Jesus is coming back every second, and they're making all these prophecies, and they're getting turned wrong. And it's not helping our cause. It's not helping us have any sort of credibility where people want to listen to us talk about Bible prophecy because they have this quote-unquote easy out that all we do are set dates and stuff. And that, that could be the furthest thing from the truth because there are more Christians out there who aren't setting dates than who are. Okay, So I'm not saying this is like some huge problem where everybody's out there setting the wrong date. But these people who have like these this minority who has just a vocal following of people that are getting everybody worked up, not only are you discrediting us in the eyes of the unbelievers, but you're causing young believers who are maybe new to this whole thing to get all worked up about Jesus coming back on a certain date and then when it doesn't happen, you're causing crises of faith for people. And that's another way of assaulting our very own fellow servants. And we just need to stop it. We need to stop it. Because we are servants. The Lord, He says that we can be blessed servants. If when He cometh, He find us doing it. Doing what? The commission. Being in the field, working when he returns. And here's the amazing thing about this. If we read Matthew 20, 1 through 16, if we just go back four chapters, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, which we are all citizens of when we have been adopted into the family. And this has always been one of my very favorite verses. Um... And one of my very favorite parables, because it has a very unique, interesting point. And I just want to read verses 1 through 16. And yes, I'm going to read all 16 verses. I'm going to flagrantly read scripture to everyone. So let's hope I don't stumble over my words too much. Verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard, and when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour and saw others standing in the marketplace. He said unto them, Go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out into the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And in about the eleventh hour he went out and found others idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man is hired of. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that ye shall receive. And when even was come, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they would have received more, and likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou madest them equal unto us, 
which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the first, so the last will be first and the first will be last. For many will be called, but few chosen. And I want to read Matthew 9, 35, 37 in conjunction with this before I break this down. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. And when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he saith unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So Jesus in Matthew 9, 35-37 is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 21-6, through 6, he's like the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that is a householder. In Matthew 24, 45-51, he's like, the Lord has made a ruler over this servant, a ruler over his household. Blessed is the wise, the faithful servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. So we see Jesus, who's preaching this gospel of the kingdom. He's going about preaching this gospel, healing every sickness and disease amongst the people. He's actually fighting a very spiritual war by being this rabbi exorcist, driving out demons, healing sick people, preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, that, that it's a spiritual kingdom. And he's doing all of this and he's laying out rules for his servants. And he's looking around at this crowd and he's moved with compassion at these multitudes. Why? Because this multitude of people that's out there, he's like, these people have fainted. They've given up hope. They're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He says to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. In Matthew 20, 1 through 16, he says, So the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Many are called, but few are chosen. The first thing that we have to understand is that in the grand scheme of things, there aren't a lot of people out there doing the gospel work. And some people are like, BDK, how dare you say that? I'm not saying it. This is what Jesus prophesied will be in the end times. There's not some giant revival spreading through the land and millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people out there just preaching the gospel all fire and brimstone and doing all this. Jesus is like, look... There are a lot of people that are fainted, scattered abroad, sheep having no shepherd. The harvest out there is plenteous. There's so many souls. But man, the laborers are few. 
Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. That needs to be part of our prayer mission, people. I understand that we pray for a lot of needs and we pray for a lot of things. But do we pray? Do we honestly intercede not only for our own needs, but that the Lord will send forth laborers into this harvest field? And do we pray like Isaiah, hear my Lord, send me, send me? Because that's even more important. Because it starts with us. Are my hands clean? Is my mouth pure? Am I faithful? Am I a faithful servant? Am I a wise servant? Am I going out? The Bible says they that are wise will win souls. That's in the book of Daniel. They that are wise. This is all about soul winning. This is all about sharing the gospel everywhere you go. This is all about making disciples. This is all about the Great Commission. When you look out into the harvest field, are you moved with compassion? Are we too busy fighting amongst ourselves about who's the best political candidate come November? Who we're going to vote for and who we're going to rally for? Are we looking out into the field? Are we seeing the field? When was the last time we prayed and fasted for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest? When was the last time that we prayed and fasted and said, Lord, anoint my eyes with eye salve so that I can see the need. So that I can look at this world the same way Jesus looked at this world. So that I can not just see all the craziness, but I can see the lost souls. So that I can have a passion and a compassion in me that comes from you. Because these people, man, they're wore out, they're fainted, they're scattered abroad. They're going about serving themselves. They have no shepherd. So God, make me, make me so hungry. Give me compassion that I weep for these people. When was the last time that we prayed and fasted for that? Here's the really cool thing. A lot of times people will say to us, like, look, it's really cool that Jesus went and preached the gospel of the kingdom and there were all these signs and wonders following. And Look at the book of Acts. And there was all this great miraculous stuff going on. But that was just for the first church. That was just for the early Christians. That was just for the first generation. Then you read Matthew 21 through 16, and I'm telling you, the people that were hired in the last hour, that were standing around idle doing nothing, got in the game and did just as much mighty works as the people that got hired in the first three hours. They all got paid the same. Why? Because all the gifts and all the talents and all the money 
that Jesus gave in these parables. Like in the, you read the parables of the talents, every man was given given the talents upon his giftings and things like that, or upon his abilities. It says, you know, God may call all of us to do something different. Someone might be in a person who's really old in age that's kind of a shut-in. And they can't get out and do things. But man, they're praying all the time. They're interceding all the time. They're filling themselves up with the things of God all the time. And they can barely walk around the house, but they pray. And they intercede. And and they, they have the Christian TV on all the time and the praise music going in the background and these are people who do more for the kingdom of God than all of us who stand around idle. And then there are some people who are called to very big things and are equipped by God to pull off very big, strong exploits. But in God's eyes, the little old grandma or the evangelist who wins a million souls are all the same to him because every gift that we've been given Every penny, quote-unquote, or talent, quote-unquote, is given to us by grace. We're empowered by grace. It's not something that we can earn. Now, we can be faithful. We can abide in Christ. We can follow Him. That's what we must do. But it's not like he's saying, you know what, Book of Acts, one, one area over here, and then cessationalism kicks in, and then this final group of... Christians that are alive in the last hour, in the 11th hour, they get nothing. They don't, you know, they weren't around in the beginning. No, we can have the same power if we preach the same gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom. There can be healings of every sickness and disease amongst the people as Matthew 9.35 says. The real question is when he returns, are we found faithfully working? Now, here's the thing. We talked about compassion. How Jesus had this compassion for people. He went to some of the darkest places to win the lost. He sacrificed everything for anyone who would call upon his name to be saved. The unprofitable servants like the Lord's delaying his coming. Why would the Lord delay his coming? Because God is good. He's slow to anger. He's generous in mercy. He desires that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. Now, I get the fact, and, and there were people that commented, and I've seen this comment run through a lot of different threads, not only this time, but in the other two years that I've been doing this too and making these podcasts, seems like every time in September people are just like, well, you know what, man? The reason that this is all going on is because we're just so excited 
to to see the day of the Lord and to see the Lord return and and we're just we're, we're homesick and we just got to be with Jesus and and every time I come out and I say stuff like this, there are people that literally are like boo, <laughs> they literally are like boo, you know, like I just want to go home. They literally type that. I don't know if they're being sarcastic or they're just joking around, but there is that general feeling that. Hey man, cut some people some slack with all these false prophecies. If you give them the benefit of the doubt, all they really want to do is just go home. They're longing for the day of the Lord. And I get that. I get that. Like, Christ's return is a blessed hope for Christians. It is. We read in Titus 2, 11 through 14, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, that's Jesus, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I mean, we should be wise and faithful servants. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So he wants faithful servants, peculiar people, zealous to good works. His return to us as Christians is a blessed hope because things are going to get dark in the end. But that blessed hope for a Christian is the fact that no matter what happens, even if we have to lay our lives down as martyrs, or if we starve, or if we're imprisoned, or all, any matter of bad things happens to us, we don't need to fear because they can only kill the body, but they can't kill our soul. And that when Jesus returns and appears, even our body will get resurrected and we'll have a new body to match that soul. So nothing can separate us from the love of God when we faithfully are following him and are obedient to him and are wise and good faithful servants. When we're that peculiar called out people, those ambassadors of reconciliation, nothing can separate us from God. And I get being homesick. Man, if I could right now go to heaven, that would be awesome. I get that. But you know what? The only thing that separates me from Jesus and heaven is just time and space, but nothing in the spirit. Because every morning when I wake up and I go to that secret place of prayer and there's no one in the house and it's quiet and I have my cup of coffee and I'm just chilling and I'm reading the scripture and I'm talking with Jesus, and I'm singing songs of him and, hymns and praise to him, and I'm just getting lost in his presence every morning, and I'm stirring up the spiritual gifts within me, and I'm, and I'm radically just trying to love my, my Messiah. And then I do that at night, too, before I go to bed. I'm not that homesick. Because home is where the heart is, and my heart is with Jesus already. I'm already seated in heavenly places with my King. 
I'm already a citizen of a spiritual kingdom. And come life or death, I don't need to worry about my own future, my own well-being. Because he'll give meat to his wise and faithful servants in due season. He will provide my needs. He will empower me by grace to get this commission done. What I worry about are all the people that can't have a blessed hope. That don't have this blessed hope. This blessed hope isn't about the rapture. This blessed hope isn't about us getting whisked out of here before anything bad happens to us. This blessed hope is that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, and Rome did the very worst to Jesus. They killed him, they crucified him, but they couldn't stop him. Death couldn't stop him. A grave couldn't stop him. A boulder in front of that grave couldn't stop him. Nothing could stop him. They could not do anything to harm Jesus in the long term. And he walked out of that grave with a new body, a resurrected body, that one day we will have when we, he returns. I'm more worried deep in my soul for all the people in that moment that when he returns, it won't be a blessed day. It won't be a blessed hope. It won't be a blessed thing. This is why the Lord delays his coming. And why we as Christians need to check through prayer and fasting our level of compassion for the lost. Because if there's one thing that doing a Bible prophecy kind of themed podcast has taught me is that the circles that I run in and see all these prophetic ministries out there, a lot of times, and not everyone, but a lot of times the general theme is we want to talk about Jesus and the rapture and this blessed hope and we want to we want to get people pumped up that he's coming back and to follow him. And we want to kind of be like spiritual cheerleaders longing for that day. But there's another side to this coin, and I don't hear this preached very often. It's from Amos 5, 18 through 20. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be like darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to encounter a bear or who enters into his house and rests his hands against to the wall only to have a serpent bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Well, there you go, BDK. I was preaching that hellfire and brimstone. Stop preaching that hellfire and brimstone. Stop trying to steal that blessed hope. I can't steal a blessed hope from anyone because that blessed hope is in Jesus and he gives it. But there's another side to this coin. Those of us who, who you know, I'm supposed to give the benefit of the doubt to. That people just want to long for the day of the Lord and long for the return of Christ and long for this awesome thing where God gets us out and does all this awesome stuff. Look, man, woe unto those who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be like unto you? It will be of darkness and not light. It will be like a man who's fleeing from a lion only to encounter something much worse. I 
I never understood how people can get so jazzed up about the coming of Jesus when that's going to mean that so many people are going to be judged and slaughtered. The whole tribulation, there's all these wars and people are dying left and right and there's all those pestilence, but like when Jesus comes back, the Bible says he goes forth on that white horse and the blood is stained his robes purple. Because he's been he's been pressing the wine press of his fury. It says that the blood is up to the bridle of his horse. It says that he's unleashing his sword. And that he's slaughtering just people after people. He's putting down all those people that stood against him. And people are like, well, so isn't right. They shouldn't have took the mark of the beast, or they shouldn't have been wicked, or they shouldn't have done all this evil stuff. Look, man, when Jesus is returning, he is doing the just thing. Because he is the only one who has earned the right to do that. That's why he does this by himself. The Bible says that he does these judgments himself. But all those people, man, all those people lost, dying, going to hell. Compassion. If we get so excited about the return of Christ that we forget all of the people who will be affected negatively by it, then we aren't doing our job as the remnant bride of Christ. We're not. And that can be a tragic thing. So I'm not trying to steal blessed hope from people. I'm just trying to flip the coin over and saying, does it trouble me? This is something that I pray all the time. Lord, trouble my heart for the lost. Trouble my heart, burden my heart for what yours is burdened for. When I see the lost, I want that compassion of Jesus because there will be no healings without that compassion. There will be no signs and wonders and great move of God or revival without that mourning and that weeping between the porch and the altar. Bible prophecy can play a big role in that. I'm not discounting the role of Bible prophecy. But we have to understand not only the blessed hope, but the terror also. The Bible talks about the beauty of Jesus. He's beautiful not only in his severity, but in his love. There's there's two sides to it. Lion is the most majestic, beautiful animal, but it's also a very dangerous animal. And that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. He's our beautiful, precious Savior. The pure embodiment of love. The good shepherd who has compassion for all the lost sheep is still going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, who takes out his sword and punishes Leviathan, that crooked servant, and breaks the arms of the wicked man. Who has blood flowing up to the bridle of his horse. He's faithful and true. That's what the Bible calls him. We must be faithful and true. 
We have been given a commission so that on that day, the people that we love, the people that we know, the people in our neighborhood, the people in our sphere of influence, don't meet that Jesus as the warrior king who's coming to judge justly in their lives and put them down by the word of his mouth. Our job is to warn everyone not to receive the mark of the beast, to not follow after a counterfeit Christ, but in this moment to kiss the Son while he is not angry, while his wrath isn't pure. He redeemed us from all iniquity because he wanted to purify himself, a peculiar called out people, zealous of good works. What are good works? It's our faithfulness to our Messiah and his commission to us. And I want to get back to that in closing. But before I close, I just want to touch on one more thing. One more thing. Because I I do feel that this one more thing has the potential to impact us and to take us off mission point. And that's this Gnostic belief that the rapture is a spiritual thing. That the return of Christ and the resurrection spoken of in Corinthians and things like that in 1 Corinthians 15 is a spiritual event only. Even amongst people that are following me on my Facebook that are my friends, apparently there are people that hold to this because in the comment section there are a bunch of people arguing for the fact that the rapture is not a real thing, it's a spiritual event. And the danger in that is, well, if it's just a spiritual event and the the return of Christ is a spiritual thing and the rapture is a spiritual thing where we're being spiritually upgraded and we're becoming these manifest sons of God, so to speak, and that God's draining all the evil perfections out of us now, sometime here on earth, and then Jesus will return later and take care of all the bad stuff. If that's the case, not only are we crossing over into a very Gnostic spiritualization of the coming of Christ, but we're also crossing over into this manifest sons of God theology that's dangerous, but we're also robbing people of a definitive hope and warning to warn other people to be ready for that day. So I just want to read some scriptures that debunk this idea of a spiritual rapture. Okay? Um, In 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. This is talking about death. We shall not all stay dead, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, so that when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Combining that with 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Right now. Right now. There's not some need to be a further end times exclusive manifestation of them. 
It does not appear what yet we shall be. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's talking about getting that new resurrected body that Christ has. When he rose from the dead, he had a new resurrected body that you could touch. People touched him. He ate meals with people. He cooked food, but he also walked through walls, appeared, disappeared at will. All these great things that this body could do. In 1 John, we read of that. But Paul is also saying that there will be a definitive event, the last trump. And when that trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The corruptible will put on incorruption, mortality will put on immortality. This will be a definite event. An event that is circled on God's calendar, one that he performs And it's not a spiritual thing. The dead being raised and putting on new immortal bodies. That's talking about a complete change. The Bible also says that creation itself is groaning for this because there will be a change in that too. The old uh, heavens and earth will pass away. There will be new heavens and earth. Death will be swallowed up in victory. This isn't some Gnostic, invisible thing. As a matter of fact, when we see him, we shall be as he is. This will be a visible, non-secret event. We read in Acts 1, 9 through 11. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received them out of their sight, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, beheld two men stand by them in white apparel, and also said, Ye men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall likewise come in a manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So when Jesus returns, and the Bible says that when he returns, that's the signal point for when we get our new bodies. That's when we become Like him, at the last trump, the dead are raised incorruptible. As he was seen physically going up by his apostles in the first chapter of Acts, he goes up into heaven visibly, he's seen visibly, and the angel said, as you see him go up visibly, he will return visibly. There's no secret, hidden second coming of Christ that no one sees. In Revelation 1.7, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, they which also pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. It's a call back right to that thing of Acts. Jesus says right off the bat in the first several verses of Revelation, Look, I'm coming back in the clouds, and every eye will see me. Even those who pierced me. All kindreds of the earth shall wail because of me. Because the day of the Lord, not dark light. That whole verse. So this isn't some mysterious, secret, spiritual event. This is a legitimate, visible, supernatural event. Finally, we've been talking about parables tonight. The Bible is all full of shadows of Christ. 
people are all like, well, you know, these uh, biblical seasons that we're doing, these are shadows of Christ, and it's important that we celebrate them and things like that. And I'm like, I get that. And you want to celebrate biblical feasts because you're honoring God. I, I'm not here to call you out on that. I'm not here to discourage you from that. There's there's value in understanding this, the shadows of those things and what they were meant to point to. And it's my belief that these things could tie into some very biblical fulfillment. I mean, Jesus in his first coming, he fulfilled the events of those spiritual feasts like down to the days, the minutes, and the seconds. I mean, like, he fulfilled all of that on those days. And it's very possible that the fall feasts at some point are exactly the same. But we miss some of the beautiful shadows of Christ and some of these Old Testament stories sometimes. And we're talking about Jewish tradition here. I want to go back to the father of Jewish tradition, which would obviously be Abraham, right? That's who the promise was made to. And um, if we read Genesis 24, there's an amazing, amazing story in this. We know Abraham is a foreshadow of God. We look at that story about how Abraham takes his son up onto Mount Moriah, and there's like, you know, the, the ram is caught in the by the crown of his head in the thorns, and he's carrying the wood up the hill, and there's all this messianic imagery going on of Jesus in the crown of thorns, and Jesus carrying his cross up the hill, and being sacrificed, and all that stuff. And that, like, God stops that sacrifice because he's like, I'm going to provide a lamb. And then John's like, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and stuff like that. And there's all these amazing imagery of Isaac actually being a foreshadow of Yeshua. But if you read Genesis 24, there's a foreshadow of the Holy Spirit in there, too. And that's Abraham's servant in the story. And basically what happens is, is it's, it's Isaac is getting to that point now where it's time for Isaac to find a bride. And Abraham calls the servant into his presence and basically has the servant swear him an oath that he will go out and find that bride for his son because he's not going to send his son out to do it. The son is going to stay where the father is seated where the Father is, doing the work that he has to do with the Father right now. And he's like, you just go out and you find him a bride. And when you find him the bride, come back and report, and then I'll send the son. When we finally have the bride on lockdown. And so this servant goes out and he's searching all throughout the land, trying to find this bride, and he does. This bride is Rebecca, who I believe is a shadow of the bride of Christ, or the remnant bride of Christ. And she agrees to become this bride, 
And so, you know, the dowry is given, the golden earring is given to the bride to show that she belongs to the bridegroom. And that so, you know, all the money is there so that she can go do her thing. And it's like, not only does the Holy Spirit go throughout the earth looking for people to call to be the bride, to call to the wedding feast, but he also marks them as peculiar people, gives them that that earring of servanthood, but he also gives, puts that dowry down and gives the talents and all that good stuff. So we see God the Father in heaven saying, My son, Yeshua, he's going to remain with me until the fullness of the bridegroom is complete, till all of the people who can fit into that wedding feast, can fit in. And he's like, my Holy Spirit's going to go throughout the earth and he's going to find himself that bride for my son. And that's what's been happening for the last 2,000 years, people. The Holy Spirit has been going out and calling all of those who would repent to repent and believe the gospel. The Holy Ghost has been drawing people to his son and empowering those people to be the remnant bride of Christ. And this is the amazing thing. If all of this is a foreshadow, then we find our mission in this. Because at the end of this story, if we go to verse 63, Isaac went out. Now Isaac is going to come, come back for that bride. This is a picture of the return of Christ. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said to the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant hath saith, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. That veil, that covering of the self showed that there was holiness, that she was, she was a holy bride. But that's not the point. That goes without saying. It's interesting where they meet. They meet in the field. She's out there working in the field when she sees her bridegroom come. I've talked now for an hour and 14 minutes just to ask that question. I want to push back all the rapture ruckus. I want to shoot down all the shenanigans. And I want to ask Everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice, when Jesus returns, will we be like Rebecca, meeting him out in the harvest field? Because that's where he's going to come back looking for his church. In the field. Working. Being wise and faithful servants. Empowered by grace to run the race, to get the job done. Us in the end, in the 11th hour, can have the same power and the same reward as those that worked in the first hour. Will we, though, be found working in the field when our bridegroom comes? working with compassion, 
faithfully serving our King. Let's not get caught up in date setting. Let's not get caught up in wild speculation. Let's focus on the things that are profitable. That's what makes us wise and profitable servants. Let's focus on the mission that we've been given to win souls for Christ. Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. Amen. As this week's episode draws to a close, I want to share with you how you can find freedom from this world's system of slavery to sin. The very first thing that we must understand is that in this world, everyone is a slave to sin. We all have sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that we're rebels, we're criminals, we've broken God's law, we are locked in a spiritual prison, and we are very much prisoners of war. We're caught between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And Satan has legal rights to steal, to kill, and to destroy because of the fall. He steals from us our hope. We look around at this prison and we think we will never escape. He destroys our lives in the darkness and ultimately he will succeed in killing many souls as they follow him to hell. But the gospel or the good news of the kingdom is that through the finished work of Christ revealed in his death, burial, and resurrection, there is redemption, there is restoration, and there is freedom offered by God to each and every person who would receive Christ as the king of the spiritual kingdom. King Jesus came to earth. He lived the sin-free life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose from the dead triumphantly and he has the keys to hell and death. And he has the keys to your prison cell. And he offers you the freedom that only he can offer because he alone can bind up the brokenhearted. He alone proclaims liberty to the captives. And he alone opens the door to the prison. And he looses all who are bound. 2,000 years ago, in that one moment of redemption, every single prison cell was open. God made a way through Jesus for everyone to potentially escape. But here's the problem. Most of us have stopped right there. We've stopped right there with the gospel. We may have heard the story. We may have heard the good news. But we sit there still in this dark cell and we're like, oh, wow, isn't it amazing? He died for me. I can be free. I can be forgiven. My prison door can swing wide open. Forgiveness is available. He provides for me a way of escape. But you have to stand up. You have to walk out and boldly approach the throne of grace. You have to surrender to the King, repent of your sins, and trust Christ to absolutely save you. Ask the Holy Spirit to grant you the power to do that. Ask Him to soften your heart so that you can see sin as God sees it. Ask Him to trouble your heart with godly sorrow over the times where you broke His laws. And from the honesty of your own heart, in your own words, call out to Jesus to save you and step out by faith and
and say, I am free. Confess Christ as your Savior before men and lay down your old life and put on his new life instead. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can switch allegiances. You can accept the terms of heavenly surrender. You can leave the kingdom of darkness and begin to walk in the newness of life and never turn back. Now, if I can help you further, either by talking with you more about the salvation that Jesus offers you, or if I can encourage you, to take the next step in living a sold-out, radical kingdom life for Him, please visit OmegaFrequency.com and click on the navigational link entitled Salvation. From there, you're going to find a button that says, Please help me take the next step. And if you use it, I'll be able to communicate with you specifically about this matter. Well, as always, I want to thank you once again for taking the time to download this week's episode. It has truly been my honor to be able to spend time with you this week and to discuss the things of Yeshua and his coming kingdom with you. Until next time, may Yahweh bless thee and keep thee. Have you ever wondered how the earliest followers of Christ would have addressed the core issues facing us today? Well, join me, Phil Baker, for a discussion on how we can simply follow the words of Christ and apply His message to our lives. Listen to my podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, on iTunes or reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with someone else. Our full podcast archives, along with their original show notes, can be found online at OmegaFrequency.com. Now until next time, this is BDK reminding you that we don't need to fear the future, because in the end, Yeshua wins.